Well, hello, everybody. Happy Avengers Infinity War Day uh, for those of you guys who are going to go see it Thursday instead of Friday. But today is Thursday, April 26, 2018, and this is the MMA Ratings Podcast. My name is Rafael Garcia, back for the first time in two weeks. Swan and I have been crazy busy, but unfortunately, you know, things get like that. He has a family to take care of. I have other shit to do sometimes. And it's just got a little bit hectic. But the show is back. Thank you guys for hanging around and checking us out and checking in on us and make sure everything is okay. I appreciate you doing show so, but the show is back and we will be coming um coming for everybody as we usually do. Shawan will be jumping in to join me when he can. But as usual, we have a lot to talk about uh, this week. It seems like there's a lot more news this week. Uh, even though there isn't a UFC event this week, and there is a pretty interesting Bellator card on Friday. But it definitely seems like there's a lot of news to, to talk about. And normally, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the conversation when Schwan can join me. He definitely will. But as always, please be sure to like our content on YouTube. Uh, you can check us out on various other streaming platforms as well. Uh, Schwan knows that list better than I. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel here because you can always find our content there each and every week. And check out MMARatings.net where we have brought back the ability to rate the fights, which is kind of where we got started. We were the original platform that allowed fans to rate fights after they ended. But we had to take that platform down due to some technical issues, but it is back. So go to MMARatings.net, rate the fights, tell us what you thought of last week's action where Kevin Lee got a big win over Edson Barbosa and, and uh, Frankie Edgar beat Cub Swanson for the second time. So tell us what you thought of that event. Tell us what you thought of those individual fights and share your feelings all across the inter interwebs. But with that being said, we're going to go ahead and, and have a conversation about some of the news that have gone on from this week. And I wanted to start off the conversation with Leslie Smith. Uh, this is probably the biggest story from last week. Where, hold on one second, guys, Sean is texting me. Let's see if I can get him into the show. Uh, he'll be joining me in a minute. But Leslie Smith was probably the biggest story, even though she didn't fight last weekend, where I'm sure everyone's pretty much aware of what happened. Uh, she was scheduled to fight against Aspen Ladd, but Ladd had missed weight by, I think, 1.8 pounds. And this is where everything went left. According to Aspen, she wanted to continue to try to take the fight and she was trying to work with the UFC to make the fight according to her. This is her side of the story. She said that Smith turned the fight down. Now, according to Smith, she did turn the fight down. And the reason being is because she wanted to use that as an opportunity to negotiate for a new deal within the UFC. She was on her last fight and, and she's the last fight in her deal. She won two of her last three. She was on a two fight, one streak. And, you know, she, this is this is a game where you can be cut at any moment in time. So it's important to take an opportunity to try to um, get it while you still can't. Unfortunately for her, the UFC was not in the mood, I guess, to negotiate with her. And she was given the opportunity to take her full fight purse, which is her win, her, her show and win money. And in accepting that, 
they decided that that was going to be her fulfilling her contract and they were no longer going to negotiate with her, thus making her a free agent. So a couple of different things here. Oh, Leslie Smith appeared on, was it the, the Luke Thomas show? She was talking to Luke Thomas on Sirius, I think the day it happened on Friday. And she was saying that she knew about this provision, that she was, uh, that if she took the money, then they would release her from her deal. She was also saying that she was under the impression that the UFC was not going to bring her back regardless of the fact that if she had won or not. She talked openly about some of the struggles she had leading up to fight week, like with her per diem and, and uh, paying for her luggage and other situations that she just thought was the organization kind of like undercutting her across the way every at every step that they could. So come to find out, you know, she was released and now she's in a position where she's attempting to uh, sue the organization for uh, the situation. Now, if what I have not said, if you are unaware, is that Smith is probably the most vocal name attached to Project Spearhead. Now, what Project Spearhead is, it's not a immediate like association for fighters, not a fighter union. Basically, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make the UFC legally obligated to uh, or, or excuse me, make the UFC have to be investigated for for whether their fighters are independent contractors, which they are listed, or the actual employees. If they're employees, then that switches up the entire game because it makes them eligible for certain protections under federal law that the UFC would have to abide by. Right now, with them listed as independent contractors, they don't have to do so, which is why you see situations like this occurring. So now we have a situation where Smith, who was a top 10 uh, had some weight, she could fight at flyweight, she's fought at featherweight, she stepped in to fight a cyborg on short notice as well. And she's basically out of a job. Now, we're really looking at a situation where she could be blackballed from the, the, the sport. She may become MMA's version of Kurt Flood. And if you followed my writing, for the last few years, you know, I've written about this a couple of times, like who is going to be the MMA version of Kurt Flood? For those who don't know who Kurt Flood is, he's probably one of the most prominent names when it comes to player rights in sports. He's the individual who took a stand against the MLB years ago and basically lost his career. But he, in doing so, helped set forth the path that allowed uh teams or allowed individual players to begin walking down the path towards collective bargaining. So someone had to be that martyr, for lack of a better term, for him from the MMA standpoint because we all knew that someone had to kind of put themselves out there. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> oh, sorry, guys that someone had to put themselves out there in order to push the UFC's hand. Unfortunately, the UFC kind of sent a message to Smith and any other fighter who was vocal about this stance by cutting her. Because uh, there's two other individuals, uh, Ali, uh, excuse me, um, Al Iaquinta being the other, who have openly talked about signing the Project Spearhead uh about signing the Project Spearhead 
info card and basically getting the conversation started. Let me see. Let me get um, Shimon in here. <clears throat> All right, sorry about that, folks. So you have to wonder, like, this message is pretty loud, loud and clear. Uh, she was a valuable member of the, the, the women's roster. Like I said, top 10 ranked in a division that doesn't really have a lot of names on it. She was someone who always brought enticing and exciting fights. I remember her fight with. I think it was Jessica I, where her ear was basically hanging halfway off. I was actually looking at the picture where you could see the blood exploding out of her ear, and they ended up stopping it. You know, Leslie Smith was not a boring individual in any way, shape, or form. She was just vocal, and she wasn't, like, antagonistic with it, but she still is... Um, <clears throat> she was still someone that I think the organization should have kept. She's a valuable a valuable person in women's MMA right now. She can't go back and she, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she can't go to Invicta because of the partnership they have with the UFC. And you got to wonder if Bellator wants her because she'll, she's going to be probably going to continue to push for the same type of conversations there. So it's, it's really a catch 22 for her because now she's in a situation where she was pushing for fighters rights and no other fighters have really come out to support her. That's probably like the most painful part of it. She's really lost her livelihood for the simple fact that she was standing up for herself and her peers. And now her peers won't even kind of come to her aid. I mean, think about that. So now she's out of a, a position here. It's almost funny. I was joking around with, uh, with uh, the idea of what if the UFC told Aspen Lad to not make weight so this whole situation can kind of blow up it's funny because uh smith was talking about how lad had time to attempt to make the weight but she just didn't do it conspiracy theorists you know you never really know uh just kind of joking around with it but she really hey man weirder things have happened in this sport we just had a conversation a couple weeks back where conor mcgregor was throwing hand trucks through windows so we've seen weirder things happen in in mma and you never really know but all in all, you know, I f do feel sorry for the predicament that Smith is in, seeing how she may potentially be blackballed from the sport for doing the right thing. You know, we all want to see these fighters get taken care of. We all want to see them properly paid, properly protected, getting the right opportunities that they deserve. They get into the cage and they do irre irre irreparable damage to themselves at our entertainment. And we've seen what uh, collective bargaining has brought to other sports. Yeah, it has its good and its bad, but I mean, in my opinion, these individuals are getting more good than bad. Even we as fans, you know, there there is you know the idea that we're headed to a situation where the best fights are getting more and more difficult to make in MMA. And yeah, that's true, but. That doesn't mean that we're losing everything in, in, in this sport due to conversations around fighter pay and fighters' rights, et cetera, et cetera. And Leslie Smith was a leader in those conversations. So it's, uh, it's kind of upsetting to see her lose her roster spot in such a way. But where she is leaving the organization, two individuals are 
joining and it's kind of it's very 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 weird It's very, 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 very weird here because two individuals are um, being added on. Two individuals are being added onto the UFC roster. One is a great addition, great inspirational story, the kind of person that you want kids and and even adults looking up to. The other. Is, is probably someone who is the lowest of the low when you think about what they've done. And one guy being Nick Newell, who is the competitive amputee who fought in World Series of Fighting, retired. And then has come out of retirement and once and is pushing for an opportunity to get into the UFC. Well, he's been granted the opportunity because he is going to be on an upcoming episode of Dana White's Contender Series in June. This is a great story because, as you know, you know, um, Newell is an individual. I think he is his left arm is amputated right below the elbow. So yes, he fights with one hand because he only has one hand. But I mean, he's done well. I think his record is sixteen and zero, I believe. Let me check. Or sixteen and one. With that one fight coming to that one loss was at the hands of Justin Gaethje. And let me see. He last fought at LFA. Uh, 35 back in March where he won via neck crank. I mean, look, he hasn't, like, he started fighting in 2009. Like I said, he's only lost one fight to, to Justin where he was TKO'd in the second round. He's 14-1 with nine submission wins, two, two, two technical knockouts, or excuse me, two knockouts, and three decisions. I, I'm, almost, I'm almost speechless here. The conversation around this has been interesting. Those who are familiar with Newell and who are familiar with MMA recognize that, yes, he deserves the opportunity to fight in, in the UFC. He deserves the opportunity more than CM Punk, more than maybe like a Paige Van Zandt, a McKenzie Dern, individuals who were brought into the organization early. I totally believe that he deserves an opportunity more than them. Sage Northcutt as well. Uh, we got Mike Jackson about to fight. We have Mickey Gall uh, fighting as well. Nick Newell deserves an opportunity well before those individuals do. And to put the idea out there that because he does not have his... Hold on a second, guys. And just because Newell does not have his left hand, there's this whole idea of, oh my god, he's going to go get himself hurt. Well, that has never been the case. This guy is a competent mixed martial artist. He fights with a very exciting style. He goes out there working to get the finish. Let me see. He has 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven of his fourteen wins have come by first round finish. He's fought two uh three decisions. And let me see if he's fought anyone that's been in the UFC. I think he has. Maybe not. Maybe he hasn't fought anyone that's been in the UFC other than Justin at this point in time. Yeah, I think Justin is the only name that he's fought that has actually made it to the UFC, which is okay. As I mentioned, you know, that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve a shot. Some people are having conversations about whether or not he should have to go through the contender series. Uh, you know, I think that, how can I put this into perspective? I'm okay with him getting a shot on, on, on a contender series if that means that he gets a shot. I think he should base if he. I think he should be given a contract period. I hope that this isn't a situation where the UFC is trying to use him to see how much people are interested in him and then offer him a contract. I think that's unfair. But he deserves this opportunity. Opportunity to be in there. Let him go in there and show uh, what he can do. Hey, what's up, Sean? You there? Yeah. Sorry about that. All good, man. All good, man. How you doing? How you been these past few days? Not bad. I got a, a new phone because my other one wouldn't maintain the show. So even when I wanted to do it, I couldn't do it. Look so at I had that. To cough up money. Shawan, if you're upgrading so he can uh, come on to the MMA Reigns podcast. See, that's dedication right there, people. Other people won't do that. He's sitting up here making some, um, making some financial purchases to make sure he can bring you his uh, level of analysis each and every week. So be sure to Tell Schwan thank you if you ever catch him in the street. Yeah, my, my kids are like, oh, you just got it so you can talk to us again? I'm like, no, nah, I don't even talk to y'all. So you're not even, even trying to talk to us Not even trying to talk to us They lucky I, they lucky I don't put him in the chokehold this week. <laughs> so, uh, speaking, man, speaking of chokeholds, that's a perfect segue, dog. Speaking of cho- chokeholds, we're talking about um, Nick Newell getting his shot to join the UFC via the contender series. And what are your thoughts about this, man? Here he, here he is, you know, he is a, he's amputee. He is uh, amputated on his left hand side or excuse me, his left side. He doesn't have a left hand right below his elbow. What are your thoughts about this? There's a couple of different talking points I, I want to bring up. Um, actually, I'm, I'm actually a fan of it. A lot of people seem offended on his behalf because they're like, well, he's an accomplished fighter. He shouldn't have to do this. But I'm like, look at some of the people, the huge head start some of these guys got coming off the show. Uh, Sean O'Malley being the biggest example. You know, if you come on the show, put on an exciting fight and you win, uh, you just get a huge boost. You get one from Dana White because this is his, 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 his personal project. You get one from the celebrity host. You get one from the fans. This is a perfect situation. And he's not going to be forced to fight some guy who's, you know, five or six fights deep into the UFC. Because when you bring it over a guy who's got a name and a fan base, you instantly have to put him in with a guy of a certain caliber so that you can make your money back. So this way he can fight somebody relatively on his level, introduce himself into the United States of America, the world, and show what he can do and, and get his way into the UFC. And he's got to earn it. The old-fashioned way, he's got to win a fight, which is, all he ha- which is all he ever has to do. Give me an opportunity, he's got one. I don't see the complaint or the issue that people have with it. So I do have a couple. I do have uh, some thoughts myself. So the thing is, just because you win on a contender series, that does not mean you get a UFC contract. Because there are some individuals that have won that that did not fight in the UFC and were not contracted. What I'm hoping that the UFC is not attempting to do is 
put him on the contender series, which is on Fight Pass, not a very popular platform, to see how many people are interested in watching him fight there and then decide if they make a decision or not. I mean, we have Mike Jackson, who's about to fight his second UFC fight, Mickey Gall in the UFC, Paige Van Zandt, Sage Northcutt, CM Punk. Nick Newell has done more than all those individuals combined in his uh, career, and I think that yes, they should have they should have given him an opportunity to fight directly in, in the UFC. But I hope they're not trying to use him. They're not, and I hope they're not trying to put him on a contender series as like a test out thing because he's already done enough in, in in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's done enough, but a lot of times, you know, he's got a fan base, and I think sometimes we forget in the mixed martial arts bubble that just because we know a guy doesn't mean he's actually known among the masses or across mainstream media. So just being on the show, whether he get whether he gets in the UFC or not, gives him a huge boost, gives a huge boost to his brand. All he's got to do is go on and put on an exciting show and it's going to benefit him moving forward. And unlike other guys who've won on the show, he has a story. He's a well-documented history with the UFC of trying to get in and get a fair shot. I mean, if he wins and he doesn't get in, it's just a PR nightmare the Dana White will have no possible way to spin or no possible way to angle away. The only way he doesn't get in is if he goes in there and he gets smoked. I mean, to me, it's, as long as he performs, he will be in the UFC. And so I think it's just the best case scenario for him. He'll get paid more than he usually gets paid on the regional scene. He gets seen in a very popular series, and he has an opportunity to develop a whole bunch of new fans and get his story across to people who don't know about it. I know the World Series of Fighting was a decent-sized organization, but it doesn't have the reach or the impact of anything related to the UFC, and this is related to it. So I, I think it's just a win-win for him. And I think I do agree with you that he's, he's probably better than Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt and a lot of them. But the, but if you go strictly by rankings, which don't really mean as much as they used to, he hasn't faced the stiffest competition in the world. If he was coming to the UFC on his own, I wouldn't be putting him in with any any elite fighter because even though he's a very skilled guy, as far as who he's beaten, he's still more of a name than he is an actual dominant or elite fighter he's got that potential but as far as guys he's beaten um they're not it's not like they're a, a murderer's row of fighters he's beaten i'm not saying the potential isn't there the skill isn't there but the actual accomplishment of who he's beaten elite guys that hasn't happened yet so I, I i don't have a problem with this i mean if they put him in there with mike jackson i think he gets that win all day every day he if they put him in there with cm punk he wants to get that win all day every day um so I, I just, I just, I, you know, the UFC is known for making double standards for some fighters. You know, they, we've talked about this long, long and and ad nauseum. They make double standards depending on who we're talking about. So here we have, who is, you know, fourteen and one. He and it's not that he's fought bums. He's uh fourteen and one, and he's you know he's done his damn job. The only fight he lost is uh Justin. So you yeah. know we're at that situation. This is what we really got to deal with. And it's funny because we're all lost to UFC today. I mean, they added Greg Hardy to the contender series as well. Greg Hardy has never won an MMA fight or, or, or a professional MMA fight. He's 2-0 yeah, as an amateur. That's a, that's a sideshow. That is clearly a sideshow. I mean, he's 2-0 as an amateur, and they're throwing him in there to uh, get ready to fight. That, that's a problem all within But But, but, but I, have, I, have, I have a devil's advocate on that one. He's not a legitimate fighter, but what, what do we always say about the uh, the heavyweight division? It's very thin, and it it's not full of top-end athletes or guys who get Q ratings. If nothing else, Greg Hardy might be the best athletic 
most athletic heavyweight in the history of MMA heavyweight, and he's someone that draws attention. Now, the attention isn't going to be super positive. I'm not saying it's great, but, you know, you could you could do worse than a prospect with his physical tools and his level of athletic accomplishment. I mean, in the heavyweight division, if you're an athlete of his caliber, if you can take a punch, uh, you might be ranked top 10 within your first two or three fights. That's I'm not going to go as far as to say that's that. How, that's how thin the division is, though. Oh, I mean, hold on. I, I'm going to challenge that. Huh? I'm going to challenge that. Hold on a second. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, Derek Lewis, he's not a great technical fighter. He trained boxing, but is he really a good boxer? He's shown that he's not a very good grappler. He's not a great wrestler. He's not a great kickboxer. He's an athletic, explosive, hard-hitting, tough guy. Francis Ngannou, we found out he doesn't, he doesn't really know how to grapple. He doesn't really know how to wrestle. He basically can strike pretty well, mostly the attribute striking, and he can defend a, a basic takedown. He, can, he can't defend chains. He can't work submissions off his back. He can't hit sweeps or switches or reverses but he basically got to be the number two heavyweight in the world off of athleticism and basic fundamental striking with some good instincts that he got to number two in the world with that. So, so, Oh, wow. I'm looking at the top 10, the top 15 in the uh, UFC heavyweight division right now. And in my opinion, Greg Hardy doesn't beat any of these guys, period. Um, like, did you see? Like, did you watch his amateur fights? Like, one of his amateur fights was the guy who was literally running from him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he could beat these guys right now. But I see what. Like, let's just say he d- does as good as Matt Mitrione. That's not a bad career for a UFC heavyweight. That's not a bad career for any heavyweight. But Matt Mitrione you know? boxed before he did the. Uh, he boxed before he did football. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. I just never saw him do anything that where I was like, well, I was so enamored with this guy. I've seen athletes people who've got athletic ability get fairly far in combat sports with little more than athletic ability. And in the heavyweight division, there's so few guys who don't have a legitimate skill set. I'm not saying they would rush him. I'm not saying he would instantly contend, but with his sort of athleticism, if he can take a punch and have some poison there, um, it, we're talking about next level athleticism. I mean, Kane Velasquez isn't a great athlete. People say he is. He, he's not a great athlete. I mean, what's his name? Uh, Greg Hardy is compar- would be comparable athletically to Francis Ngannou. That's the kind of athlete we're talking about. And nobody is going to convince me that that sort of athleticism wouldn't allow him some sort of margin of error as being a fighter when you're that much faster, that much more explosive, that more dynamic, and that, that more well-conditioned from a base level. I'm not saying that makes him a dominant fighter, but he, he has all the physical tools, much more so than other guys who who've succeeded in uh, mixed martial arts and heavyweight. Oh man, I I I, uh, I I think we're gonna see a stark contrast to that um, because we're gonna see how how he does. Like I said, he's getting his opportunity to fight in the UFC, but I like and, and listen, we're not even talking about the the negative side of what he's done. And it's kind of like the UFC. The UFC is again they have selective memory about who they work with and how they work with them. I mean, they've worked with Floyd Mayweather, who went to jail over domestic violence issues and now we're dealing with Greg Hardy who uh, has his case expunged was about to go to jail for his situation I mean he was basically yeah, like Josh, Josh Grisby was a UFC fighter or connected to the UFC as a fighter what is it? correct uh, Alex Trujillo Abel Trujillo I forgot one of the guys from Jackson's it's, it's a pretty common thing in mixed martial arts for this sort of abuse I hate to say it in violent acts it's not uncommon it's not uncommon. You're right, but 
the UFC has drawn a line, like you said, they, they, as soon as they found out about Josh Grisby, they cut him. There was the other guy that they cut for when he lied about his domestic violence case in the military. I mean, Greg Hardy, what he did was so reprehensible that the NFL didn't want him anymore. I mean, we've seen the NFL deal with people who have killed other people and they allowed them to play. We've seen them deal with other types of scum and they've allowed them to play. But for Greg Hardy to be so horrible that they've said, you know what? No, you can't play for our league. That says a lot. Yeah, it does. But you guys remember that the tone of the league changed dramatically after the Ray Rice thing. Had this happened before Ray Rice, I don't know how far I think it, it I think it was before Ray Rice. I think it was around the same time. Mm, Might have been. I mean, you're right. But, I mean, the, the UFC, like I said, they're trying to get p- people with potential and people who sell storylines. And publicity is publicity. And eyes watching or eyes watching. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong about that. People are definitely going to watch because... um, They either want to see this woman get beat up or they want to see if a guy from the NFL can turn the corner and and do this. Because, you know, there's a whole segment of people who think maybe she made it up. There's a certain segment of men who, you know, agree with this and think, you know, he shouldn't be in any trouble at all. I mean, there's a lot of of different parties that are going to be invested in seeing how this goes. And everybody's against it, but by covering it, all you're doing is giving it more power. Like it's so reprehensible. So you're going to talk about it. Your fifteen thousand friends are going to talk about it on Twitter or on Facebook. You've just given them a lot more publicity. How do you think the UFC or, or any in, any uh, market that depends on fans and needs stars and needs polarizing figures? How do you think they're not going to latch onto that? Even if it's negative publicity, it still gets publicity. It, what, what if he's successful? He'll be all over ESPN. He might be the first bridge of NFL players who can't make it in the NFL, who don't want to make it in the NFL any longer, going into mixed martial arts. I mean, this, there's a lot of different ways this could change the dynamic of the coverage that mixed martial arts get and the athletes they get. If he does very well, I guarantee you'll start seeing other football players come after him, a better athlete than him. I'm just as tough as him. I can do it too. There's a lot of things in this Greg Hardy fight could set off if it goes well for him. And I'm not a fan of his or what he did, but I'm just speaking strictly objectively of business media and potential to bring other athletes into it. So the Greg Hardy situation and the Ray Rice situation both happened in 2014. They were right after right after one another. Greg Hardy's was in, I think, October, and Ray Rice was in September. So right after one another. So let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's keep, this, let's keep the conversation moving. We already talked about Leslie Smith and the fact that she's been released by the UFC to do that whole uh, contract ordeal. What are your thoughts on that? Let's go back to that and see what you got to say about that situation. I actually have a conflicting thought on it because I'm a big fan of Leslie Smith. I like her style. I like her heart. On this show, I said how she's the bravest person out of the UFC because she's willing to risk her well-being, her financial well-being, and her standing in employment to fight for other people's rights, not just hers. She's fighting for other people's rights because we've had other MMA fighters who say, I'm fighting for the team, I'm fighting for my fellow fighters. You're breaking up a little bit. You're breaking up just a little bit. We've had other fighters who said, I'm fighting for my fellow fighters. And as soon as they got their pay raise, you stop hearing them talk about it. Leslie Smith has been consistent in reaching out to people and consistent in her stand. So I think what the UFC did to her wasn't right. I think they had an obvious agenda. But in the same instance, the only other thing I would say is an argument is I've seen fighters who were better than Leslie Smith get cut from the UFC. Now, I know, I, I believe, I know why she got cut, but it's not like they haven't had fighters who've come off wins or who were higher ranked or who were more accomplished who've been cut by the UFC. 
And if they paid her show money and her win money legally, contractually, even though they're picking and choosing, they have the right to do that. They're within their rights to cut her. They can say that counts as a fight. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I agree with it. But I can see a logic where they could defend it. If they say, well, you're being biased. Well, we've cut fighters better than her. We've cut fighters who are winning streaks. We've cut fighters with better records that are in the UFC. We're within our rights. We don't think she's worth the money she wants. And we're, there's no longer there's no point in us going back and forth in a, um, in a in try, trying to make contractual discussions. When she wants this much, we don't want to pay it, and she's not willing to back off of that. So I support her in what she's doing, but I can see why they made their decision. And I, I think in court they're going to be able to defend their position successfully. So let's ask this. If you were a fighter and you were in this situation, would this deter you from being vocal about a fighter's, fighter's association? I guess depending on what stage you're in, it's really hard because as much as as much as much fighters should be teams, they see, it seems like they're against each other's best interests. It's really a singular interest like if it's not helping me i don't know if i'm going to get involved in it i don't know how many fighters are secure enough in their careers or brave enough to risk their careers to make that stand because you're seeing what's happening to her you know so i mean if you're a no-name fighter or you're just trying to come up do you risk that and if you're a big name fighter are you are you going to interrupt this the few paydays you have so that you can make this stand that in your opinion probably isn't going to change very much me personally i'd make an effort i would want to help people and i'd want to look out for people but if i'm the average fighter history shows me they're not they're not getting invested in this they're not doing it they'll talk about it they'll complain about it maybe once their career's on the downside and they're about to get kicked out of the ufc or the after they get kicked out they want to they want to speak up and be a part of it but while things are going well for them nobody's going to put their career or their potential name on the line for that so if you were in position to um if you were in position to decide uh, for other fighters, let's say, like, let's look at um, Al Iaquinta, for example. If you were, if you were in his management, and I can't think of the other guy's name, the other guy who has talked about Project Spirit openly, what would you do with them? How would you tell them to work, uh, work their way through this situation? Um, I mean, it's really, it's really difficult because. Because of the, the varying degrees of value, as much as I like Leslie Smith, I don't know that she has a value of an ally Quinta. I mean, they have a lot of people in the in the lightweight division, but he's if all things all things being equal, he's probably not a he's a better and more accomplished fighter than her. All things being equal, he's in a deeper division. He's beaten better level, so he's a little bit more valuable to them. And as much as he speaks out. You haven't, and I, I haven't kept up with him on social media, but you used to see, if you're on Twitter, you saw Leslie sending out constant tweets, people about, you need to do this, you need to do that. I don't know that Ally Quinta has done as much. I, I know he's got a position, but I don't know that he's done as much as she has. Um, if something they really believe in is, is a manager, I would just say, you're, you've got to follow your beliefs. I'm not going to tell you how to, how to respond or how to handle it. All I'm going to ask you to do is to meet your requirements and act like a professional in the case and act like a professional out of the cage because not are you representing yourself, you're representing this group. But outside of that, if that's what you want to do, it's either my job to leave you because I don't want to support it or it's my job to support you because I'm your management and I'm sticking by you. Unlike a lot of other guys, though, um, Ally Aquinta, from what I understand, has a 
separate line of income coming in. So this isn't going to make or break him. You know, he left on the UFC. He didn't like what he's getting paid. He went out on his own and did his own thing. A lot of guys either don't want to, or I guess maybe they feel they don't have the skills necessary to do it. He's in a, he's in a special situation where he, I think he has a little bit more freedom than anybody else. If I'm his manager, I'm either supporting him 100% or I'm cutting ties. That's really all it's doing. You either can support somebody and go along for the ride, or you can cut ties with them and let them go on their own journey. So I would just support him and tell him, make sure you're acting like a professional, make sure you're prepared. Make sure you're doing your best when you're going in that cage because they're looking for any excuse to push you aside or push you down. You need to make sure you're prepared and make sure you handle yourself with the appropriate uh, maturity and professionalism. No more wrecking hotel rooms. That's for Um. So, and I just want to let you know your volume keeps going up and down. So we can't. We couldn't really hear what you just said there. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to let you know. I didn't, didn't want to cut you off. But um, let's see. So there's other UFC news stories that's kind of like popping up. Did you see this story today about um? Usman versus Maya as a uh, potential replacement fight, other than Santiago, uh, Santiago uh, Ponzinibbio. What are your thoughts about that first fight there? I'm not sure it's a fight that works for Damian Maya. I don't know how he gets Usman down. Like if he gets him down, I can see him submitting him, but I don't know how he gets him down. Usman isn't the smoothest striker, but he's a very dynamic, very powerful one. If he can't get him down, I don't. See how it gets through, maybe more a round or two before Usman puts him away. Unless Usman just is ridiculous and goes for a takedown and, and tries to actually grapple with him, that's Maya's best chance. But if he fights a smart fight, I don't see how it gets out of maybe round, round and a half. It's, I mean, it's just Colby, it's a bigger, stronger, more athletic Colby Covington fighting a Maya who's what another six to eight months older, another six to eight months slower. You know, that was the worst Maya we've seen in years. And now there's a good chance you might be seeing him again against the best athlete he's ever faced in the history of his career. Say that last part again. It's the, it's the, it's the oldest. It's an older. And the Maya we saw against Covington was the worst Maya we'd ever seen. And now he's going to be facing the biggest, strongest, fastest, most explosive athlete he's ever faced in his career at the time when he's declining dramatically physically. Yeah, it's funny. Some people were, were comparing it to um, the Kobe Covington fight, or uh, they were comparing it to like um, Tyron Woodley, yeah, as well, because like he's not going to be able to get him down the same way. Yeah, I mean, you saw he started off hot against Covington, but he just got tired. And Covington isn't really a natural striker. I don't even think he's a very good one. Usman is showing potential. He's starting to put the pieces together, but he's a much more willing and much more explosive striker. And and Maya, though his footwork's gotten a little bit better, his offense has gotten better, his defense is still bad. And his chin is not the kind of thing that's going to hold up to repeated shots from Usman. It really depends on how Usman – does Usman want to put a stamp on things and put Maya away, or is Usman going to play the same game he did in his last fight and just go for takedowns and control and pick away with shots and just get to a decision? It depends on what kind of statement he's trying to make. But it's a really bad match for Maya. It's not impossible for him to win, but it's a really bad stylistic matchup for Maya. Yeah, man, it's definitely a um, bad stylistic matchup for uh, for him there. Um, so let, I want to actually want to spend a little bit of time talking about this Bellator card uh, this week, and it's a pretty interesting card that we have coming up with another fight that's scheduled uh, for the heavyweight Grand Prix. We have Fedor Emelianenko against Frank. Mir. Now, 
me personally, you know, I've said it from jump. I don't give a shit about this uh, heavyweight Grand Prix. I don't at all. Not one iota. However, everyone seems to still be uh, excited about it. So can you um, break down this fight for me and tell me what you see? Um, the Really, to me, I haven't seen Frank Mir in so long. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine he's going to be in the best shape he's possibly been in. Late in his career, Frank Mir started trying to be more of a heavier, more physical type fighter. Before, he was a quick transitional submission guy, and he started getting away with that and started using the striking a little bit more, trying to be a little bit more aggressive on takedowns and clinching you up and punishing you a little bit. But the main concern, the, the problem Frank Mir has always had has been his chin, his ability to take damage and his ability to recover from damage. If Frank Mir had even a decent chin and decent recuperative abilities, he'd be the greatest heavyweight of all time. He can strike well enough. He can wrestle at least decently given the, the, the heavyweight division. And he's a great submission guy. He's great at finishing. But he, he can't stand up to any sort of abuse, sustained or individual shots. I've seen guys hit him with glancing shots, and he's stumbling around the cage, falling down. And when guys have hit him with clean shots, they put him clear out. In fact, that fight where uh, where Mitrione and Fedor fight, Mitch, the same the same shot that dropped Mitrione, the same shot that dropped Fedor, that would have put Frank Mir out. So it's hard for me to see any situation where Mir wins this. It's just a matter of whether Fedor actually is training smart and is actually going to fight to the full extent of his technical abilities, or is Fedor going to come out loading up with big punches again and totally ignoring his legs, totally ignoring his footwork, totally ignoring his clinch and his takedowns. If Fedor comes out using his skill set, he'll win and he'll win handily. He's got a better chin. He hits harder. He's faced a better opposition. I think he's a better all-around fighter. If Fedor's just going to come out winging bombs and loading up, there's he still could win, but there's a better chance he gets taken down and seriously injured by um, Frank Mir. So it really comes down to how hard Fedor is prepared and how strategically what he's trying to do. Is he trying to go out there and fight a mixed martial arts fight, or is he trying to go out there and just get a quick win? I'm going to say that Fedor understands how serious this is, especially after that KO loss, and I expect to see a version of, not the prime version of Fedor, but something closer to that see more all-round striking, leg kicks and punches, some work in the clinches, some takedowns, maybe even some submission. That, that's what I'm expecting from him. And I'm, I'm thinking he stops Mir inside of the three rounds. You think so? Yep. Mir, Mir just can't take punishment. I mean, and Fedor can still hit. I mean, F- Mitrion's not the toughest guy, but Fedor, first shot he hit, to put him down. If he can put Mi- Mitrion down, who's got a decent chin, he might decapitate Mir, but the question is, is he going to set it up? Is he going to use his transitions to close range and use the full tool set? If he does so, I'm still going to pick Fedor. If he doesn't, and he just comes out there winging bombs like he has in a couple of his fights, last three or four fights, he's just going to get roughed up and probably get his arm broken or choked into unconsciousness. Because Mir, Mir is, he has no conscience when it comes to submission holes. We know that much. So what do you think of this? Uh, did you also see that the alternate for the heavyweight Grand Prix is going to be the winner between Roy Nelson and uh, Mirko Krokop? What are your thoughts about that? Is that a viable alternate for this competition? I was hoping they brought in like a younger athlete, but I mean, clearly they're not they're going back. They're going back to the well once again. I, from, I guess from name value, it makes because Roy Nelson has a fan base. He's popular and a lot of people felt, I know I felt that he, 
that fight should have gone another round and that he he I thought honestly the fight should have won another round or he should have won it. I think that last round was so dominating, but he does have a fan base. There's an interesting storyline if he's back into the Grand Prix because of the trash talk between him and Mitrione. And Krokop, Krokop's just a huge star. So if Krokop comes back and he somehow beats Roy Nelson, you know, by decision, or he knocks him out, that gives him a lot of momentum. And that's going to bring a lot of worldwide fans to see if Krokop can go on another run like he did in the Risen tournament. What was it about a year ago where he beat three guys in two nights and he was a Risen Grand Prix heavyweight champion. So as far as the popularity and the ratings and the getting eyes on you, I understand why they do it. But as far as developing a future heavyweight champion, like a legitimate champion with some potential to grow, you're right. It, it's really a bad move because neither one of these guys is elite. I mean, I guess in heavyweight, they're still fringe elite fighters, but they're not really elite. And they're going the opposite end of it, op, the opposite direction in their careers. Almost everybody in this Grand Prix is going the opposite direction. King Mo and Brian Bader are light heavyweights. Mitrione has already hit his ceiling. Roy Nelson, similarly. Crow Cop, similarly. Fedor, pretty much the same thing. Chel Sonnen's a middleweight for Christ's sakes. So it, it's it's clearly a crash, a cash grab, and it's clearly a grab for ratings and trying to pull in interest into the Bellator product. I'm just interested in it because I like fights. But as far as a new heavyweight king that we can develop and push forward and build, build an organization around, that's not what this, this Grand Prix is going to do at all. Not at all. Do you think that this Grand Prix is giving the fans what they wanted? Um, considering, I think this Grand Prix is kind of based off like what they saw with Risen. I mean, Risen had a bunch of guys who were like fairly internationally popular and some few, a few, a few big names, and they got huge ratings. They got worldwide attention. So I'm thinking that maybe Scott Coker or Bellator feels that even though these guys aren't maybe names in the U.S. like huge names, that this tournament's going to get worldwide attention. That that's where they're going to make all their money from. So I mean, they have names that are. Popular Crow Cop is still a big star across the world. Fedor is still a big star across the world. King Mo is big and is he's not huge in America, but he's known in America. And he's popular in other countries because he's fought in so many other countries. And a lot of the guys they have are named guys who who draw a rating. So to that degree, they they are giving the fans what they want. People want to see Chael Sonnen fight. People want to see Ryan Bader fight. People still want to see Fedor fight. So they're giving the people what they want. They're just not giving it giving they're not giving them the prime version of what they want or the best version of what they want. They're kind of selling them on nostalgia. But fans of Bellator, that's what they've always bought into. I mean, Shamrock, Shamrock, uh, Slice, Slice, Dada, 5,000, Sonnen, Ortiz. I mean, not exactly young contenders fighting each other. So they're giving the fans what they want. Hardcores are going to complain about it, but there's a segment of fans that want to see these guys fight. So I'm just like, let them make money, and hopefully Bellator can make money off of them as a result. So, man, like, how, I want to say, you, I don't want to use the term how bad, I'm trying to be nice here, but you saw that the UFC, it put out a call for um, flyweights, women's featherweight, excuse me, and heavyweights for the next upcoming uh, season of Tough. How bad of a situation are we right now in heavyweight MMA? When you, it's not only Bellator that's struggling, it's the UFC as, as a whole, too, as well, as they're also struggling when you see them trying to build depth in the heavyweight division, it's still a lot of the younger fight or the older fighters winning, pushing their way to title contention. What is the real issue that we're seeing with the lack of turnover within that uh, division across promotions? 
the the issue is the same because it's the same two divisions in every div- every organization that have problems. It's heavyweight and light heavyweight because there's so few guys who've got the experience level. You have guys who are athletes. You you have guys who have potential, but those organ those divisions are so thin that you don't get enough time to develop your seasoning and develop your game and develop your strategy and change your philosophy and show those growing pains. It's too shallow. You win one or two fights, you're in the UFC, you win another two fights, and now you're fighting a top five light heavyweight or, or, or heavyweight. So even if he's fading, he's on the decline, his chin isn't there, his power is not there, his speed isn't there, he's still seen so much more than you, he's still been in so many more situations than you, he's still got so many more tools than you that it offsets any advantages in durability, in youth, or in or in style matchups. I mean, that's essentially what you've seen Andre Arvlosky get by when he started going on his little winning streak. It's just veteran savvy and a well-rounded skill set. Like, he's been doing it so long that while he's not a great striker, he can strike well enough. While he's not a great wrestler, he can pull out the wrestling when he needs to. While he's not great off his back, he can survive there in tough spots long enough to improve position or to get back to his feet and go to work. And that's that's the problem. It's not deep enough for you to develop yourself. In featherweight, men's featherweight, Max Holloway got how many more how many fights before he got to a title shot? Before he even got to a really high ranked opponent. So he had time to test things out, go through different camps, learn different things, focus on different things, grow, improve his cardio, improve his strategy, improve his poise. So when it came time for the upper upper echelon fighters, he was ready. He could make adjustments. He could handle bad spots. He could handle heavy exchanges. He knew how to apply different skill sets or strategies. But these guys, they don't, they don't have enough time. You literally won, you win one fight, and you win the next fight, and then the next thing you know, you're fighting Overeem, or you're fighting Arvlosky, or you're fighting um, whoever is ranked high, and that person has so much more experience that there's not much you can do to them, even if you have an advantage in it, it, as far as your technique and your strategy. We've just seen it time and time again. Guys get rushed because they don't know what else to do with them. I mean, think about it. About a year ago, we were like, what do you do with Derek Lewis? What do you do with Francis Ngannou? Because if you have him fight this next guy and he beats him, then he has to go into a title shot. And he's not ready for it. Well, everybody else thought he was ready for one. I knew he wasn't. Same thing with Derek Lewis. He's not ready for that level of competition. He's got too many holes in his game. But the division's so thin that you're forced to move guys up into fights they're not prepared for. And then they lose, and they get knocked all the way back down. And you have another 37-year-old, 43-year-old fighter taking up space at the top because the younger guys can't beat him. All right, so last question about heavyweight MMA I got for you. Who's a prospect that you're watching uh, when it comes to their development? Is there anyone in the UFC or outside UFC that you have an idea on that, yo, this guy can be a star at, at heavyweight if he uh, if he hits the, the stride at the right time and also um, keeps developing at, at the right pace? Uh, I thought I thought I was kind of impressed with Justin Willis. He fought really recently in uh in the UFC. He has really he seems like he has good boxing, good head movement, puts his punches together as well. He's a capable wrestler. I think the biggest issue with him is he's a little bit one note in his striking. Even though he kicks, he doesn't defend kicks very well. He's he doesn't use the kicks. He doesn't know how to use them in the most efficient manner. Like to keep people off as a defensive and a countermeasure. He's mostly a boxing type guy, which means there's a clear line of attacking in, in attacking him. But he's undefeated. He's young. He's got wrestling skills. He's got good boxing skills. He's got some athleticism. But I just don't think his conditioning and his overall seasoning, as far as developing a full a full array of skills, is there yet. But once again, in the heavyweight division, you don't really need to have a full array of skills to be ranked or to go on a win streak. 
but for him to get past a certain level, he's going to have to develop an all-around game, mainly his ability to defend kicks and his ability to counter kicks. I don't think either one of those is very good. Yeah, he actually fought Chase Sherman on Saturday, and he pulled out a win. Did you think he won that fight? I thought he won that fight. I just thought the reason he won that fight wasn't so much what he did. It's because Chase Sherman is either got too invested or Chase Sherman and his team are very stupid because Chase Sherman is a, I've had a scout against Chase Sherman before a fighter asked me to do him a favor before one of his friends fought him. And I told him Sherman's biggest thing is he's aggressive, but he has that length. He's willing to kick to the body and kick to the legs heavy. And he, once he starts scoring, he won't back off of that. And he uses his range fairly well, along with his aggression. When he fought Justin Willis, instead of using his distance and just chopping his legs inside and outside into the body, he walked into the pocket. And the one the problem Chase Sermon has is he stands tall in the pocket, like full extension his height in the pocket, and he has his chin up in the pocket. He doesn't move his head. So he walked into the pocket against a shorter guy who's throwing counter punches and basically walked into a bunch of shots and rocked him and knocked him down. He basically gave him a 10-8 round right off the bat by getting knocked down like once or twice. And that's just basic combat sports strategy. Like the fact that he did that either means he was not thinking or if his corner somehow allowed him to do that or told him to do that, they don't know what they're doing. Cause that was terrible fight IQ and that was a terrible strategy. All he had to do was work his distance, make Willis come to him and chop Willis up with inside and outside leg kicks and stick a jab on him. And Willis wouldn't have been able to do anything. Then he could have worked his way in the clinch and rubbed him up. But he let Willis get started hot and basically dominate the first round, be competitive enough in the second round to where he needed to knock out the win. And Sherman doesn't have the boxing to win. And he'd already been rocked by those shots. He didn't have the will to really commit to going all out to get the knockout. So it was just bad strategy and bad execution. Sherman's got some potential too, but that was just, that was terrible. So he basically cost himself that fight. He could have won that fight fairly easily, but he gave it away. And I give props to Willis for taking advantage of what he was offered. Some guys get the same openings, they still lose. Willis took full advantage of it, and he won. It was a tight fight, but he, to me, he clearly won it because Chase Sherman or his team just wasn't very smart that night. Who's the next uh, heavyweight contender in the UFC? Uh, it looks like it's in, they're trying to push Derek Lewis. I mean... The, but once again, they're putting they're putting him with Ngannou, so I don't even understand. That doesn't even make any sense. Like, you're basically going to – if he loses to Ngannou, he's down the back of the line, and Ngannou just got stop, curb stomped by Stipe, but he's nowhere near a title shot. It, I, I just don't know. I, I can't I, – I have no idea, to be quite honest. If Lewis wins, he's the, next, he's the next biggest contender. They don't have anybody else. Everybody else is on the decline and taking steps backwards, and – so it's pretty much Lewis. Lewis has to win this fight, and I don't think he's going to anyway. So I don't know who the next contender is, to be honest. So we started out this conversation talking about Bellator 198. What else kind of stands out to you on this card? For me, it's the return of my boy Gerald, uh, Gerald Harris taking a fight on short notice against um, Rafael Lovato Jr. It's a tough fight. A tough fight for both men, in my opinion, because Gerald Harris can can eke out a um, a three round decision, and you know he has big power. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, about this fight here, and who do you see coming out on top? I'm really curious. Like, what did they offer him to come back? Like, was it just was he hoping to get back into the fighting realm? Because I I understood he retired, so they yeah, he just retired in October. Out. So it's still relatively new. Did they make him a big offer or something? You know, like, usually when you retire, that's a pretty, you know, you're 
kind of done, move to the next phase of your life. I can't imagine they offered him eight and eight to show up and fight. I mean, I'm just kind of curious how that happened. Yeah, I have no idea. I haven't. Um, he hasn't responded to me on on uh, Twitter yet, but it definitely kind of caught me out of out of out of left field. Yeah, I mean, he's he's experienced. He's tough. He he's athletic. He can. He's he's a very good wrestler. He's a superior athlete, and he's he's got a lot of experience. He's a very experienced seasoned guy, and that's a huge advantage he has over Lovato Jr. The only issue I'd have is Lovato Jr. has probably been fighting a better class of opponent, and he's been much much busier and he wasn't in retirement it's hard for me to overlook the fact and i don't know if he's been training or not gerald harris has been training or not i assume maybe he trained casually but to go in there and go from training casually or just keeping in shape to fight shape against a guy who's on a winning streak guys been fighting good competition a guy who's been fighting good competition often it's it's not an impossible fight for him to win because he's got the level of experience and he's got some he's got the necessary tools to put Lovato Jr. in some bad spots, but it's it's hard for me to imagine a world where Gerald Harris just comes in there and ragdolls and manhandles a guy when he hasn't been training over an extended period of time. He's not it. He's not. He's not peaking. He's not in prime shape. I can't. I mean, I'm sure he has a strategy, but he can't have anything specialized or really focused on Lovato Jr. It's pretty much just going to be him, like in a basketball game, rolling the ball out there and seeing what happens. And I, I just, I, I really can't go with that as far as. I think it's going to be successful. I hope he wins. I would like him to win. I think he's capable of winning. But I, it's it's really really hard for me to say that he's going to win coming in under the circumstances he's coming in on. And um, is there anything else from this card that stands out for you? Because me, um, the, the biggest thing that stands out is the uh, is the Dylan Dennis. He's making his debut as well. Like, what are some of your thoughts about this um, fight card? really got into him too much i mean i i really i don't know too much about him as a fighter i mean i know he's a re- really good there's grappler nothing, there's nothing to know he uh this is his, this is uh his pro debut so it's kind of like you know what what is there to you know what i'm saying it's like how do i it's like gauging cm punk i don't really know anything about what he can do i've never seen him spar never seen him train and definitely haven't seen him fight on any sort of level so it, it's it's interesting and um i think with his personality and his antics I think he has the potential to make an impact as far as like maybe be having some star qualities because he's gotten a lot of attention. I mean, he was in um, Conor McGregor's corner throughout the whole buildup to the fight, and you saw him quite often on Showtime. You saw him in these buildups to the fight, these pre-fights and app and post-fight. So people are familiar with who he is to a degree, much more so than you would think. But when it comes down to it, it's still a fight game, and I have no idea what he's going to do or how he's going to respond the first time he gets hit. Or the first time he can't get someone down, or the first time he gets tired, so it's really hard to assess it based off of in, in a fight nature. I can assess it off of maybe potential stardom or what it means to, to jujitsu if he wins. But as far as a fight, it's I really don't know what to expect from him. I have no idea. I've seen absolutely nothing from him. Yeah, I think I'm pretty intrigued because you know he's been talking a big game, talking a big game, but I'm wondering what he's really going to do when he steps in into the cage. Uh, this weekend. Other than that, um, is there anything else that kind of catches your eye for this Bellator 198? Not really. As, as we said, discussed the, the Bellator, they spend so much energy putting on local fighters to kind of to get people in the arena and get that gate up. That they don't really, they don't really develop divisions. They don't really fill out cars from top to bottom. So after the two or two or three fights, sometimes two or three, maybe four name fights, the 
quality of the card drops off tremendously. You know, they're, they're, the difference between their prelims and their main card is beyond staggering. The difference in quality and the difference in the level of athlete. So um, it's just this problem manifesting all over again. It's just lack of depth and lack of quality fights across the board. Yeah, I'm not too, too interested in, in the event, but I'm probably going to maybe watch some of it just to kind of catch some of that um, main card action there. Uh, what, let everybody know what you're working on, man, because I wanted to, you know, it's been two weeks since we've been on, so let, tell everybody what, you, what you've been working on, what you got coming out. Uh, I just did an article for Combat Press. It was this, it was uh, Edson Barboza, upon further review, Edson Barboza, and I just kind of took a closer look at Edson Barboza and dispelled some of the myths people had about his fighting ability, his fighting style, and his ranking as an elite lightweight. A lot of people feel that way. I felt differently, and I just basically made an article stating facts that kind of supported my opinion to give people a different look at him as a fighter and as a person. Um, on MMA ratings, next week I should be having an article for, uh, regarding Sarah Kaufman. It's going to be uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of Sarah Kaufman describing her physical attributes and her fighting style, both positive and negative. And how that's going to impact her forward as a Bantamweight champion. Or as is often happens when you win the Invicta title of Bantamweight, back up to the UFC, kind of gives people a hint of what to expect from her if, in fact, she gets back in the UFC. So you kind of, your strengths and weaknesses, what's helped her excel and what's kept her from being elite or maintaining a position as an elite fighter in women's martial arts. Okay, let's go. That's good stuff, man. I got some. I got a, probably got a piece coming up on um, Nick Newell, uh, and I, as always, you know, I'm, I got plenty of other content coming out across the interwebs. Man, why don't you let everybody know where they can find our content? Uh, you can always find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Uh, MMA ratings, SoundCloud, uh, MMA, MMA ratings podcast. As always, we really appreciate you coming on and. As I said before many times, if you have any questions or concerns you'd want to have us discuss on the show, please feel free to reach me at Black Jordan Breen on Twitter. I'm always willing to discuss it, and we, me and Rafael are more than willing to discuss any topic you want or look into getting any guests you would like to have on the show with us. Because, we're, like I said, we're doing this for you, and we're doing this to put the best product, best product possible out on your behalf. Yes, true, true, true. So with that in mind, man, um, thank you everybody for listening and checking us out this week. I am getting ready to go watch the Avengers and go catch that movie. So if you know it's going to go on and you try to spoil it for me, I will come to your house looking for you. Either that, man. All day today. Some people are like, I'm not even getting on Twitter. I can't take that chance. Can't take it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, man. Someone's, I mean, you saw what Kobe Covington did with uh, Star Wars. He, he, he ain't about that he, life today, though. He's, nope. he's going to go all the way with this heel thing, isn't he? he man, fuck, you know what? I don't even... I don't even uh, we ain't even going to talk about that guy right now. <laughs> all right, man. Well, you enjoy right, so the movie. Fun, We're out of here. Uh, everyone have a great week, and we'll, we'll catch you guys next week, next, next Thursday. All right, sir. Take it easy. Head. Have a good one, guys.